We dream of change in ourselves and in the wider community. What makes us hopeful that we will embrace a new year with renewed energy and a reason to hope? Several years ago when I was at a conference for UU professionals of color, I met a young man who grew up in another religion, Seventh-day Adventist, I think, but I, I don't think knowing the actual denomination is all that important, but that philosophy uh, that he remembered, the poverty in the congregation and his family's situation led him to say, hope is a you-you invention. We never talked about hope in my church. Imagine. I thought that he was distressed by how many people in the room and in his current UU con congregations made it seem to have hope. Not every UU is affluent, but many of us are well-educated and have had wonderful jobs and opportunities, especially with education. Most of us have enough positive influences in our lives to believe that even if we somehow hit a rough patch, we can have hope for a good future because we have experience as evident that's evidence that supports that vision. We say we can't live without hope, but what we really mean is that we cannot thrive without hope. Right now, many of us are weary of the shenanigans of the past year. We are simply reeling from the almost daily onslaught of attacks on our democracy, our reputation as a nation, the dismantling of civility, and outright support of racism and fascism. Hundreds of thousands of young adults teeter on a rope not knowing when they may be deported. Millions of citizens will lose health care Revelations about sexually inappropriate behavior has rocked this nation. And then there's fake news and the supposedly fake science. Even in Peoria, there are people who are feeling little hope of things getting better economically. Did you know that two Kroger stores in Peoria are about to close, both in less affluent neighborhoods of Peoria. The loss of the one on, Hyman, on Harmon Highway makes the south side a food desert. In other words, there is no place to go to get balanced meals, fresh vegetables, that sort of thing. So why should that be of any concern to those of us who don't live in those neighborhoods, beyond the fact that we are one, because it makes life harder on people who already have low incomes and lack of 
transportation to get to the streets, it makes their lives harder. It's easy to blame the loss on the people in the neighborhoods. And if you're on Facebook, you may have seen some of the comments um, that have been made. They need to stop shoplifting. They need to spend more money in these stores to keep them going. They need to stop dropping their syringes in the parking lot. They need to get off welfare. It's easy to make people other by saying they. But it's good to remind ourselves that we are of the same flesh and blood and covenant as human beings. Actually, we need hope in those neighborhoods. Hope for better lives because of economic equity. Can we ever have that? Do we dare to continue hoping in Peoria for economic equity? Access to mental and physical care. Compassion for drug users that is now becoming popular for suburban addicts. We need the kind of hope through right action that just is not going to happen until people with resources and the power decide to intervene and work with those in the neighborhoods who have the energy still to make change happen. News around the world, in our country, and even in our neighborhoods seems hopeless at times. Today we could just go home and, is there a Bears game? Oh, we could just go home and watch the Bears. We could just go home and take a nap and bury our heads under a comforting, comforter. Or we could try to figure out whether or not there is hope for our country or for us as a people. Frankly, I think that the first sermon of the new year ought to have a happy ending. So I, I hope maybe I've done enough so that we can have a happy ending today. I've spent time thinking about this and reading about hope but being convinced that there is a reason for hope isn't really obvious. But I came up with several things that have potential for hope. The arc of the universe, the better angels of our nature, and women. A favorite quote of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we heard it last week, that quote is, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. This is a more succinct version of a thought that came from Theodore Parker, a member of the Transcendentalist Movement in the 1800s. He was also an abolitionist who called for the end of slavery. In a sermon, he said, 
Look at the facts of the world. You see a continual and progressive triumph of the right, and he didn't mean the difference between right and left, but the triumph of what is right. I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one, and my eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience, but from what I see, I am sure it bends toward justice. And there's another quote that we rarely hear that is connected to that. And his words uh, sort of predated or heralded the coming of the Civil War. Justice will not fail, though wickedness appears strong and has on its side the armies and thrones of power, the riches and the glory of the world, and though poor men crouch down in despair, justice will not fail and perish from this world of men, nor will what is really wrong and contrary to God's real law of justice continually endure. Let us recognize that justice brings hope. 150 years later, a Harvard professor, Steven Pinker, wrote a 600-page book that proposes that human beings have become less violent over time in the better angels of our nature, which debuted in 2011, Pinker theorized that we are living in the most peaceful time ever. In this phase of our existence, we are less likely to encounter violence of any kind in our personal lives or in the world. He says that in the family, in neighborhoods, between tribes and between states, People living now are less likely to meet a violent death or to suffer from violence or cruelty at the hands of others than people living in any previous century. I know that's hard to believe as we hear about people driving their uh, rented truck into a group of people We are engaged in some sorts of warfare around the world, but not full-fledged war. And even with those things happening, this is the most peaceful time ever. Pinker believes we are becoming more civilized, not through evolution, but through the power of the state to have a monopoly on the legitimate use of force, which reduces violence and makes everyone living under that monopoly better off. He calls that the pacification process. So having government involved in controlling arms 
he believes is what is leading to our notions and to the actual fact that we have become a more peaceful people. It isn't easy to discern why, but it seems that other progressive trends are happening at the same time. And Pinker doesn't claim to understand the cause and effect totally. And some would argue that the logic isn't there. I remember taking logic in, in college. And when two things change at the same time, they aren't necessarily related. And that's called concomitant variation. And I'm so proud of myself that I remembered something from college. So. <laughs> Uh, the gist of, of that is that we are becoming more peaceful and we are having more rights as human beings, but right now there's no proof that those two things are related. He thinks that better government, greater prosperity, health, education, trade, and improvements in the status of women are occurring while other while the number of deaths from war and murder continue to decrease. He also believes that societies that empower women are less violent in every way. So, let us recognize that living in a less violent society brings hope. Of course, Pinker couldn't have known in 2011 how viciously the status of women would be attacked through attempts to legislate that really would eviscerate the rights of women and cause them to lose control over their own bodies. He also didn't know that one single current event, a presidential election, would drive millions of women around the world to take to the streets in protest. This has led to the emergence of women in the political scene. We have women in this congregation who have been active, but suddenly they're more active and emphatic than ever. They've organized a women's rally in Peoria after the inauguration. They've organized a citywide healthcare coalition, protests against the tax bill, and they maintain an affiliation with Indivis Indivisible, a national organization that examines the agenda of the current administration. And we have at least one woman in this congregation who's running for office. Now, this is not to say that men in this congregation are not involved, but really, this is the moment to recognize that it's a time for women. It's a time for women to yield their influence in the public arena. According to a New York Times article, Stephanie Schrock, the president of EMILY's List, the largest national organization devoted to electing female candidates, she said that in the 10 months before the election in 2016, 
About a thousand women contacted her organization about running for office or getting involved in other ways. Since the election, she said, the number has exploded to more than 22,000. Now, of course, we don't know how things are going to turn out in the elections. We're hopeful that both women and men who have the same values that we have will be elected. And we also have to get women to vote for other women. Come on. And of course, not every woman is progressive, but perhaps we are seeing the rise of a new day. Let us recognize that the emergence of women brings hope. Krista Tippett, a national radio host who some of you may know about, spoke at our Unitarian Universalist General Assembly two years ago. She wrote a book called Becoming Wise, and one chapter of her book is about hope. And one thing that really stood out for me as I read what she said was, my mind inclines more than ever toward hope. I am consciously shredding the assumption that a skeptical point of view is the most intellectually credible. And these are thoughts from a person who is, is known for her astute interview questions and looking at things from the point of view of fact. I think that it is a challenging point of view for this congregation, for this denomination. Um, we so much admire reason and science. Our Unitarian roots question the Christian interpretation of the Bible, calling for reason to be our guide rather than what many felt were myths. I think we have skepticism built into our minds, especially those of us who are scientists or anti-religious humanists. Our fourth principle, after all, is a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, which many people take as something to be interpreted as just the facts. Just the facts, nothing but the facts. The truth, the truth is that there are so many elements of life that are not measurable, that cannot be confirmed through data. If we live through those things that are provable, we miss many of the possibilities of life. We have no scientific proof that the results of having hope, especially outside the bounds of reasonable expectation, is particularly worthwhile. I think of hope as a spiritual value though one need not be religious or spiritual to have hope. 
although I don't know how skeptics fit hope into their lives, or if they are constantly approaching hope and then realizing that they need to pull back because that hope just does not make sense. Let us recognize that there is truth in hope. After all, we have the weight, strength, and endurance of women bending the moral arc of the universe toward justice. We have the hope of a less violent world and the better nature of ourselves, our nonviolent selves, to sustain us. We have the possibility that hope is stronger than skepticism. Let us therefore recognize that there is a reason for hope.